0: Welcome to the Press Row, behind-the-scenes stories from the world of sports media. The Press Row, inside and interviews from around the
1: sports world. Now here's your host, Shona Siegel. Welcome back. Another episode in the Press Row. Today's guest is a former NHL assistant coach, a head coach, a GM, and yes, a president. However, most of you will know him as a broadcaster on Sportsnet or amongst other things, he co-hosted Hockey Central at Noon alongside Nick Kiprios and Darren Millard. He now is the perma-guest, if you will, on the Real Kipper podcast. Yes, you should have guessed it by now. He is none other than Doug McLean. But first, let me tell you about my friends at Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. If you head to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today, you'll receive 50% welcome on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. This is The Press Row with Jonas Siegel. Tons of things to talk about in the sports and media world this week. And, and I got to tell you, our next guest, uh, I kind of followed him around. He doesn't even know that, but I followed him around a little bit. <laughs> And, uh, he's, he's one of the most intriguing characters, if you will, personalities in sports and sports media for a whole host of reasons. And I think you'll understand why, when we get into some of this stuff, he is down in the great state of Florida, uh, right now you hear him regularly as a regular guest. I'm going to say co-host. I hope the the host doesn't get mad at me for saying that on the real Kipper podcast. He is Doug McLean. Doug, how are you? Great, Jonah. Great. Thanks for having me on. You're down in Florida first and foremost. How are you? How are your family? Everybody keeping well? Everyone safe, healthy, all that stuff? Yeah,
0: it's been really good. You know, we we spend about seven plus months in Florida and and four plus months in in PEI. So uh, we came down. Um, I did a weird, weird thing in in this a year ago, almost exactly. Uh, frustrated frustrated about not being able to get to PI. so we we bought an rv something i never really thought about doing although jill mentioned she'd like to you know try traveling so we bought an rv so we left pei and went for six and a half weeks on an rv trip we did you took the rv to pei and enjoyed it on the way up so it's sort of been weird so we're just getting ready to head out in another week in the rv and take a couple of weeks to get the pei and then you know we got plans to go to the west coast again last year we went to utah and all the national parks so it's kind of a bizarre retirement type of thing so we've enjoyed florida the the COVID has been challenging but we haven't been closed down so you know it's been a it's been a pretty good year here uh, overall family wise my son's in chicago and my daughter's in cincinnati jill and i are here so it's it's actually great
1: you know it's funny I, I i jokingly said that i followed you around last summer uh you know we're out here in seattle and last summer my kids have followed in my footsteps by spending summers in algonquin park just north of toronto going to camp and camp got canceled literally like a year ago next week and they looked at me and said well we're still going to the cottage right like we're going to see my parents in barry and i said um sure, but we got a drive. So we, we drove the other way. We drove from Seattle oh. to Toronto <laughs> and we did it. Um, so on the way there, we drove from Seattle to Detroit where their grandmother lives and we drove through the States and then crossed in, in Port Huron. Crazy story. You'll understand this because you lived in the Detroit area. We pulled up to the Port Huron um, Sarnia Customs gate, if you will, across the bridge, Saturday, three o'clock in June, which you and I both know would be anywhere from a three to four hour wait. We, Doug, were the only car. Oh, Oh, I know. We were the only car. Uh, So then we drove up, spent the summer in Barrie, and then on the way back, we drove through Canada. So we went all the way across the top, uh, through each of the provinces on the way. And I got to tell you, like two of the greatest trips I've ever taken were were those two by car, and it's it's an awesome way to see both countries. So yeah, I know, and it's it's amazing. Uh,
0: the The traveling has been amazing. So we we pull up to customs at, in New Brunswick, uh, Jill and I in the RV, and I just about a mile before I said, "Oh, oh, honey," I said, uh, "You got to claim fifty cigars for me," <laughs> and she said, "What?" Of course she hates that I smoked. She hates that I smoked the odd stogie on the golf course and I brought 100 cigars home with me, you know. So I have two humidors in the RV and I said, "Look, you got to claim 50." She said, "Bullshit, I'm not claiming 50 your <laughs> damn cigar." <laughs> so we pull up and I got 100 cigars. You're allowed 50 each, two big, right. you know. So anyway, the customs girl, all she wanted to talk about was COVID. And she told me that you never mentioned uh, you know, cigars, never mentioned alcohol, which was fine. We didn't have any alcohol. We had the rules. Um, so she said, by the way, if you leave your property and you don't quarantine, it's a $750,000 fine. And I said, does anybody still have $750,000 with this going on in Canada? <laughs> so anyway, that was our uh, custom thing. So we, anyway, look, we had an amazing trip. It was fun. It's It's been a blast. So Retirement's been kind of fun, you know, which I I never thought. Look, I I left Rogers. I, I was I turned sixty-five on April twelfth, and I left Rogers in mid-June, uh, two months after I turned sixty-five. And I thought, you know, what a. And I said it to Jill the other day. I said, you know, I'm kind of enjoying
1: retirement. Everybody tells me it's, you know, it's weird, but I'm kind of enjoying it. You know, good. So it's been That's good. Well, you look good. I'm, I, others can't see you. I can, but you look good. You got a good color and you're smiling. You know, you have a, uh, a background that to be honest, I really didn't even, I mean, the, the hockey side of it, I knew, but you know, the world knows that you went, you know, you're from PEI. I didn't realize that you actually played hockey for the uh, junior Canadians and uh, started off as a teacher. Um, yeah, got a degree in education, not surprising now that I think about your career and, and actually, uh, went to go get your master's at the University of Western Ontario. Amazing story. Like that's not uh, certainly not out there all that much in the public domain. I had to do some digging to find it, ended up coaching with, with Jacques Martin. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, it, it was pretty bizarre. I, I ended up, um,
0: Jacques Martin I met as probably when I was about 16 or 17 working in hockey schools together in Brockville, Ontario. And I, I used to go up to, uh, when I left Montreal, I went to Brockville and played junior in Brockville and finished my high school, actually quit school. When I left the junior Canadians and went to Brockville, I quit school in February and I worked as a carpenter's assistant in in Brockville. And I remember coming home after work and getting in the bathtub to thaw out, you know, to thaw out so that I could go and play (laughs) at night, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, I was in a a billet a billet bill home or boarding house basically is what it was and, and I st- then I stayed in Brockville and I worked in the summer with hockey schools and I met Jock and I was probably seven uh, probably 18 19 at the time and Jock was probably 20 a year or so older so we became friends then uh, I went back uh, to ha- finish my high school after being out of school probably close to a year And thinking like, what the hell am I going to do? I've got grade 11. I got to go back. So I went back and asked if they'd let me into grade 12 in Brockville on trial. And they let me in on trial into grade 12 and I graduated. But I met two really important people in Brockville. I met Jacques Martin working the hockey school. And I played against Brian Murray. He was coaching Pembroke at the time. And I was playing in Brockville. And I I made the All-Star game. And Brian was the All-Star coach. And we struck up a relationship that all-star weekend. So Jacques Martin was a really key guy for me. And then, and Brian Murray. So I went, um, you know, I finished junior and I get this call from Acadia University and from University of Prince Edward Island, three or four different universities saying, we'd like you to come and you, you have a hockey Canada scholarship, which is a full four year ride to go to university in Canada. So, where did that come out? And they said, <laughs> Brian Murray recommended you to Hockey Canada for this hockey scholarship. So that's how I ended up getting free university because of Brian Murray, which is hard to believe, you know, nobody really knows that. And uh, so I finished my degree, I went back home to Summerside, and I taught high school for seven years. And actually, uh, Gerard Glant was one of my students, as a matter of fact. But I, I taught special ed my then I went back and did a master's in educational psychology at Western. And I was going to go back and sort of become a, you know, a consultant education consultant, special ed consultant. That's what I had after I taught regular high school with, and Juard was in my class. And then I got into special ed later on. And I, I finished my master's and I was ready to go and the University of New Brunswick came along and offered me a job. So that was fine. I, I worked at the University of New Brunswick, but. This is a long story for you, but this is how, how Jock Martin became important. So I'm at UNB coaching and working, and I was teaching a, a course at UNB. And I have the UNB hockey school, and I phoned Jock Martin. I said, Jock, I want you to come and work my hockey school this summer. So that was fine. Jock's coming to the hockey school. Out of the blue, I get this call in June, and, and I had read in the Globe Mail that Jock was up for the running for the St. Louis Blues job. So he, he, my assistant at UNB puts him through to my office and I go, Hey, yeah, you're bailing on me. Hey, eh? you're going to <laughs> St. Louis. You're not going to come and work my damn hockey school. You son of a bitch. And he said, Doug, I can't, I'm, I got the job in St. Louis. I can't come to it. But he said, one more thing. Would you consider coming with me as my assistant coach? Wow. Seriously. I was at UNB coaching. I thought this is my dream job to be a university coach. I'll be here the rest of my life. And Jock offers me a assistant coaching job in the NHL. I almost fell off my friggin' chair. I was like, I, it was so out of the blue. So Brian Murray and Jacques Martin became pretty important people in my life, to be quite honest, you know, and uh, you're forever thankful for, to the boat, you know? So that's how ama- it started.
1: You know, it's amazing. Like, you know, just to steal from Seinfeld, yada, 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 you know, NHL, NHL accolade career, but Holy hell. Like there's not a whole lot of people that I can think of in the game today who have a start like that with a master's in education or actually in the classroom teaching. One of my brothers, I think was at forest Hill collegiate a hundred years ago. And some guy named Mike Keenan was the hockey coach.
0: Uh, So so we all get our
1: start somewhere, but you don't, you don't hear that route very often these days. And I I remember
0: when I was teaching high school, I saw that Earl Jessiman got the job at uh, 29 years of age as coach of the Frederick Express. And Pierre Paget had gone to Calgary as an assistant coach. And I remember saying to Jill, you know, Jill, I'm 29. I'm coaching the junior A team in Summerside. I'm teaching high school. I guess that's what I'm going where I'm gonna end. And all out of the blue at 31, I was coaching in St. Louis. So it's just so bizarre, you know. So it's really uh, it, I've been really lucky. And then I had like 24 years in the NHL. It's hard to believe, you know. So it was fun. So you it Wasn't so you always ended. fun. It wasn't always fun, but it was a it was interesting.
1: <laughs> so it uh, so you ended up in Detroit after St. Louis. You had one of what? My... Wa- no,
0: I went to after St. Louis I
1: went to Washington. Right. And you're Brian. an assistant yeah. coach with Brian and then you followed yeah. him eventually after a stint with the Skipjacks, you ended up with Brian in Detroit early 90. And yeah. I think at that stage, I think you had one of my favorite players unheralded in, in Danny Shanks, who was a real character. Um, wow. Jeez. <laughs> I forgot about Danny Shanks. He wow. was... and I, how
0: could I ever forget Danny Shanks when my wife's name is Jill Shanks? <laughs> I'm, I haven't heard that name in like 20 years.
1: So Danny Shanks... Used to <laughs> imitate Brian Murray when I knew oh, him when he was playing for the Vipers in Detroit, yeah. and then so like most people, and I don't mean this is not disparaging, but I think what most people think about you, uh, the story begins in Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. We, we your run with with the Panthers again with with Brian, and you know that unbelievable season, uh, the yeah. rat, the rat season, if you will. Yeah. We were talking the other night, there are now, you know, down the road from here, they're putting, I think, 750 million or a billion into a stadium. Your team played in what I will call the most underrated building in professional sports and what was the Miami arena.
0: You know what? It's so weird. I, Brian left Detroit and went to Florida and I sort of did player development for Brian for a year and then Roger Nielsen left or he got fired by Brian. And I, I remember meeting Brian at a, at a Bob's big boy in Detroit. I was living in Detroit. Brian had moved down to Florida to to work the first year and I did player development for him. So we meet at Bob's big boy. And I said, you know, you're going to hire a coach. He said, yeah, I got to hire a coach. And the word was Larry Robinson. And they kept throwing all these big names and I, and Brian looked at me, he said, you know, I'm going to give you an interview. I said, Brian, I'm going to tell you something you and I've been together 10 years you will be an idiot if you don't hire me for this job and he looked at me and he said and i'll never forget the look on his face and you know what he had to work to get me the job it was a ton of pressure on him with izenga bill tory as to go with a big name guy and then i get the job uh brian phones I me. Mean, i'm driving in, uh, on a pei road i'm at a hockey school working in PEI in the summer. And I Brian phones me, he said, hey, uh, I'm hiring you. You got a three-year job, 275,000 a year. And I thought, oh my God, I've just hit an unbelievable home run. So I go to the job, uh, for, I could fly down for the press conference and I finish the press conference and I'm on an unbelievable high. And I, they asked me to do a radio interview with Vic Router for TSN. So the first question Vic Router asked me is, were you the fourth or fifth choice for this job by Brian Murray? Like, how many people turned the job down before they hired you? And I thought, what am I going to say? And I, all I could think of was dickhead. So I said, thanks, Dick. I appreciate the question. <laughs> I knew his name was Vic, but I called him Dick. <laughs> anyway, poor uh Vic got into so much uh, people in pei went ballistic on the interview he got five thousand faxes were sent they were it's from pei <laughs> and then i met Vic years later when i said he has been doing the world championship and we sort of laughed about it but oh my god but brian was under the gun when he hired me and it was like a unbelievable lucky break for me that brian believed in me and and then we had we had a good a
1: good time for three years you know not just a good time. Like I think I think a lot of the records that that team hit still still are, are records, right? Like
0: and the winning it's hard to
1: believe that Joel Quenville is trying to challenge my playoff record this
0: year. <laughs> 20 years later. Right. But but you know what? I finished we, we we finished and we went to the finals and it was so exciting. I mean, I'll never forget beating Pittsburgh in game seven on the road. To win the uh, the Eastern Conference Championship, and we walking off the ice, and Wayne Hisinga hugs me at the at the gate, and the next guy to hug me was the famous Miami Dolphin quarterback, and he's you know hugging me, and I'm thinking, oh my God, have I have I hit the big time? <laughs> I got two <laughs> of the most famous people in Florida <laughs> hugging me, and. uh, so anyway, look, uh, it was a fun ride and, and uh, Hizinga, they Brian called me and he said, look, Wayne wants to tear up your contract and he's going to pay you $475,000 a year and he's giving you a $50,000 bonus. And I think, oh my God, this is unbelievable. <laughs> so we, it was kind of a, like a crazy whirlwind from a year
1: you know, ago uh,
0: as an assistant to going to the Stanley Cup Finals it was pretty cool.
1: You leave Florida and, you know, end up in Columbus. You know, you do some some consulting, I guess, for Jim Ball Silly, which is an interesting episode. We could do an entire show, I'm sure, on that. Oh, yeah. Oh. And, then, and then you end up in um, how a lot of people know you, and that is as a, as a co-host of uh, Hockey Central at noon and, and doing the Sportsnet gig. Really, not going full circle, but certainly completing a cycle.
0: Yeah, you know what happened? It was really interesting. I when I Columbus was just an amazing experience. I mean, I I, I go in there, I, I got the job through. I was coaching Baltimore Skipjacks, and then I got the. I had met this guy who was a steel guy in Baltimore, and I'm assistant coach or associate coach of Detroit Riverings. And this guy phones me out of the blue, said, "Look, I'm coming to the game." is there any way you could get me down below to, I got a client and and I'd like to meet some people. So I get them down after the game to meet people, never thinking a thing about it, never entered my mind just because I knew him from Baltimore a little bit. I get a call after I get fired in Florida and it's, look, you took me down after a Detroit game. I met you in Baltimore. And he said, my boss just bought the NHL franchise for Columbus. And I want to put your name in the mix for this job. And I thought, you're kidding me. He was a <laughs> vice president of Worthington industries who was the owner of Columbus owned it. So that's how I ended up getting the interview in Columbus was through this guy from with the Skipjacks to the red wings that I got down underneath the uh, red wing. And I, I interviewed in Columbus and, and, uh, the owner lived 20 minutes from where I was in Florida living in Florida. And, uh, it was so funny. I, I'll never, ever in my life, it was, he was 73 years of age and I went to the Gulfstream country club for the interview. And I, I walked in there and I, I pull up in my car and the, and the valet guy says, you don't have a jacket coach. And he, he recognized him coach to the Panthers. Cause I, you know, you got everybody pretty well knew the Panthers in those days in Florida. So I said, no, I don't. He said, Oh, you need a sport jacket to get in. And he took me downstairs and I found a, the tightest sport coat that they, I mean, the, the most modest looking, but it was <laughs> two sizes. So I go upstairs and I'm, and the old man, Mr. McConnell, I guess he was probably 75, 76. He, he, uh, we kind of, and everybody came out and wanted pictures with me. And I'm thinking it's the first time in my life I ever wanted to be recognized because <laughs> he was all excited that these people knew me.
1: So I ended up getting
0: the job in Columbus. And then I get hired as GM and I'm in my first meeting when I get the job in Columbus. And I said, Mr. McConnell, we need a president. We need a president. I'm, I'm the GM. I was a coach. I'm the GM now. He said, oh no, you just be the president. I think he thought it was like a pee-wee travel team I was running. <laughs> so that's how he became president, general manager. So anyway, I had, you know, we had a great 10 years in Columbus. We really did. My kids both got to graduate from high school in Columbus. It was a great town the uh, you know it, it we it didn't go as well on the ice which was disappointing but it was man we were one of four teams that came in over two years and it was tough it was tough going let me tell you but you know I, I, it's something I'll never ever but this is how bizarre it was Jonah I, I I'm I'm the president and I got to hire all these positions okay so I get the Florida Panthers media guide I had in my house and, and I looked through and I said, okay, I need a vice president of corporate. I went through their media guide, all the people I had to hire and fake that I knew what I was doing. So I hired a VP of corporate sales, a VP of marketing, a senior VP. And I, anyway, we ended up, I, I, I hired like almost 200 people, you know, and we started, I was the first employee of the Blue Jackets, So it was pretty cool,
1: you know? So it must've been pretty awesome as you've watched them I mean, do you have affinity for the, for the team in the market? I, I'm sure there's still some people kicking around that were there. You know, it's funny. Uh, two guys just retired this week. The uh, uh, guy that
0: was involved heavily with their radio broadcast, Russ Mollahan's his name. He just retired. Greg Kirstein just retired as legal counsel guys there's still guys there that's that i had originally hired that are still there todd schrock the, the vp of communications was a columbus kid who i hired from the houston ihl team so there's still a bunch of people that are still there from when you know 20 years ago when i hired them so no i you know i follow it closely but you know it's funny how it, things change you know but it was good it was a really good part of our
1: life of our life so I'm going to play an audio clip for you. Hopefully you can hear it, and let's, uh, let's get your reaction to this. Hang on.
0: You've ran all the tapes you could muster up, but it's not unlike you when somebody's not in the studio to battle you face-to-face that you're, you're at your best.
1: I was hoping that you would be here Go today. Ahead. Yeah. Go
0: ahead. I'm waiting.
1: I mean, I assume you're in PEI or, va- or right, we'll Phoenix or whatever. We'll be back on the radio
0: with you, Bob. And, you know, I mean, and, and for you to say it was suicidal for me with the NHL, it was suicidal for me with the NHL when I became a friend
1: of yours. Go ahead. I'm waiting. (laughs) That was, I I can tell you where I was when that happened. I was in my car and I'd gotten home and the garage was up and there was no way I was pulling into the garage. Oh my God. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? It was. One of the great moments of of McCowan, who you kept calling McGowan. And I know you were doing that on purpose.
0: (laughs) It was bizarre. Well, what happened was... I, I, I do the deal with Sportsnet and they they basically said, if you want to make it on TV, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to be yourself. You can't, if you're, if you're coming here just to get another job, you know, and I had interviewed in Arizona and Don Maloney beat me out. I thought I had an unbelievable chance at that job. And then since then I interviewed in Minnesota after that Chuck got the job, which was, you know, a, solid choice. And I knew he was the inside guy. So i had, you know, I'd interviewed in Florida, Bill Torrey. I thought I had the job and then Alan Cohen decided to sell the team. So that fell apart. And then the new ownership hired Dale. So, I mean, I really came close, but Basile came to me and it was really weird. He, he, he came to me and said, look, I'm, I'm trying to move Arizona to Hamilton. I'd like you to help me with a relocation plan. And he offered me a hundred grand to do it. And it was a week's work. And I I went out and met with him. And I said, look, I I really am not interested in doing it. You know, the money is great, but I'm not really that interested in doing it. And he said, I will guarantee you, if I get the team, you'll be the president of the team. And I said, so, you know what? I remember (laughs) sitting in his office. I remember sitting in his office in Waterloo at RIM. And he said to me, uh, I said, do you know what you're up against? The NHL is an unbelievable powerhouse and you know it's unbelievable what you're trying to prove do here. And he said, "Look, and this is exact words he said, I'm not afraid of competition. My competition is pretty tough. We're number 1, but I got Apple nipping at my heels. I've got this uh, Nokia nipping at my heels and I'm thinking, "Oh my god, <laughs> so that's how big it was, Rim at the time, blue, uh, Blackberry. And I remember him mentioning those names, thinking, anyway. So you know what? It was like a week and a half's work, and he lost the case. My relationship with Gary Bettman has been really solid over the years. It really has. And I know for a fact that he's pushed me for a couple of jobs. That didn't happen, which is fine. But Bob was incensed that I didn't tell him that because he was Jim Balsillie's friend and he didn't know about it and he didn't hear about it. And he was incensed that I didn't tell him about it. And that's where it all came from. So the, the interesting thing, we had a battle, a battle on the air. I was at a restaurant I, in PEI. I went outside and I was on the side of the highway doing this, this fight because it caught me <laughs> off guard where he went here. So I thought, you son of a bitch. I phoned him the next morning, eight o'clock. I'm going up to Tim Hortons in Borden, which is near my cottage. And I phoned him. I said, what, was, what were you trying to prove last night? Well, you didn't tell me. You didn't tell me about it. I said, you son of a bitch. You went on like that? And because I didn't tell you? Are you kidding me? And, and so it was like, what were you trying to prove? And then he played the role for a, a, another years. So you oh, know, I, I won't have him on the air, and I won't have him on the air. And then when I, as as it moved on, Rogers made it part of my deal that I had to go on with him. <laughs> so anyway, it was kind of funny, and we ended up being pretty good friends again after, you know. And uh, anyway, it was, it was kind of, it was. But everybody talked, and my mother, who was eighty five at the time, she said. Who's that radio guy in Toronto? She'd say that to me every two months. Who's that radio guy in Toronto? I hate him. <laughs> anyway. So How did it come to be with Nick? Where, where did that come from? I, I uh, met Nick. when I was coaching the Baltimore skip Jaggets. Nick was on my team. Oh, okay. And um, I remember he, he got sent down by the caps and I was a coach in the American League, and he was really, really down in the dumps. And, I, it was like probably February March, and I called him in my office, and I said, look, Nick, you're, you're going to be in the NHL. You're going to get back to the NHL. He was disappointed he was sent down and frustrated. And I said, I guarantee you, you're too good a player. You're going to get back to the NHL. And I was doing a pump-up thing with him. He played another month, and he played so unbelievable for me. It was amazing, tough, and played hard. We're in the playoffs, in the conference finals against the Rochester Americans we beat Barry Melrose and the Adirondack Red Wings in the first round which was which was exciting then we go against uh, the Rochester Americans in the second round in the conference final and I'm at the morning skate of game one and I get a call from David Poyle saying we're calling up Steve Mason who is my number one goalie and Nick Kiprile And I thought to myself, you're shitting me. I'm losing those two guys before game one. Are you kidding? So Nick got called up and then he played the next 12 years in the NHL. So we stayed forever in touch after that. And when I got to Columbus, he used to phone me, trying to get scoops from me all the time. I'd hang up from Nick Kiprios and Bob McKenzie and phone me. And I'd hang up from Bob McKenzie. So that's how we started. And when I got fired in Columbus, Nick, Nick and Bob McCown are the two guys that phoned. and said, "Hey, you know, I'm going to talk to Nelson Millman." And Nick said, "I'm going to talk to Akandi, and you know, try to get you in TV." So that's how actually how I get in was through Nick and Bob, to be quite honest.
1: So there's very few people who've taken the media route who've both been a coach, a GM, and then you know management. So mm-hmm. so you're, you were you were there with with guys that are now you know either. In media or in management themselves, how would you say players have changed over the years to what they were then to what they are now?
0: Players, I don't know if they've really changed. You know, I I loved, you know, my 20 plus years, the highlight of my entire NHL career, which I guess was 20, my coaching career was like 20, I don't know, 20 including my prior coaching at university. It was like 25 years of, of full-time uh, work in hockey. And I think the highlight of it all was dealing with the players. I love dealing with the players, whether I was a coach, a GM, or you know, in all the roles, the number one thing I enjoyed was the players. And it's funny, I was out playing golf here the other day and I ran into Ray Shepard, And we had an amazing chat. Now, Ray was one of the crankiest players I've ever coached. I had him in Detroit for three or four years. I had him in Florida with the Panthers. The guy played his, played hard. He was a big time scorer, but it was just fun to see him and talk. And there's not one guy that I've coached in my career that I wouldn't be comfortable having a beer with. So I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. So I don't. So now I look at players today, and I ended up working with Colby Armstrong a lot and Richie Sutter, who were recently retired. I found them just terrific guys. I worked with a little with the ex, you know, on special days and the different guys that came in. Uh, Ryan Whitney used to come in and work with us. I mean, I found them good guys. And I find even today, yeah, they're making a ton more money. But in those days, when I was coaching Beezer, Beezer was making two and a half million a year. You know how much money that was in 1996? So I just I think the highlight was players. And I, I'm not buying that they've changed that much. The game has changed a lot. I'm not sure the players have changed as far as people. Like a a guy told me one day, Sid Crosby, who I've never met, but I've been all around everybody that knows him from the Maritimes. And and one one of the most, the best compliments I ever got was Colby Armstrong saying to me, Sid listens to you every day on Hockey Central at noon. And he said, I love listening listen to Mac. I'd love to have a beer with him. He's a real hockey guy. And that to me was the ultimate compliment you could get from the greatest player in the world at the time. And I thought, you know, so I don't know if they've really changed. Jonah, I, I'm not, I'm not, I think management and coaching, maybe we've changed more than the players
1: have. So have you had beer with the, uh, have you had a beer with the player? Allegedly, you hired a detective to, to track around. Have you had a beer with that guy? You know what?
0: When I got fired in Columbus, uh, Jill and Clark and Mackenzie and I were sitting at an Italian restaurant in uh, in Columbus, uh, and it was about a week after I got fired. And Nick Girardev came over to the table and said, "Mr. McLean, I'm really, really sorry. I'm really sorry." He, you know what? He wasn't a bad kid. He he, he drove me crazy but he wasn't a bad kid. And yeah, I hired a detective to find out what the hell was going on. And, you know, he, cause he was all over the map. He was a young Russian kid that had left home when he was 13 years of age with no parental guidance. You know And I mean? He, he was one, he was the most talented player. And I've been with Sergey Fedorov. I've been with Nick Lidstrom. I've been with Stevie Eisenman. I've been with some of the greatest players in the history of the game. And Nikki, was the most talented player I've ever been around, but he just couldn't get it right. But I, you know what? It, I would not be afraid to have a beer with Nikki Jared, Evan talking. I mean, this guy—I don't know if you ever saw him play or any clips of him, but Jonah—he—he he was an unbelievable talent. He was so damn good; it was unbelievable. And what a sin that he didn't become a—I mean, his last year in the NHL, I think he played 12 minutes a game for Philly and had 27 goals. Like seriously,
1: like, you know. That's how good he was, but couldn't you could never tame the lion, you know. So, what made, in my opinion, Hockey Central work, and and I had Millard on a couple of weeks ago, and he alluded to this, is that you are a management guy, and you mm-hmm. represented that consistently, and, and Nick was a player, uh, and he represented that well. I, I think what was, and I remember. Vividly, the first time I moved to Seattle, the yeah, the first NHL lockout was going on, and I'm an idiot, and I've got the tune-in app on my cell phone in my car, and I'm listening to you guys live in Seattle like nine o'clock in the morning, and you guys were going at it pretty heavy on the current screaming. Labor. Yeah, screaming current, at each other. On the on the on the labor stuff. I think I think what most people don't get, and and maybe you can help articulate is you had a boss and the boss was the owner. And those owners ultimately could tell you what to do. And there's, there's some cases you could tell them to F off and there's some cases you can't, but ultimately you report to them. How underappreciated is that relationship and how often did that happen? And I'm not looking for a specific, but you know, how much of a job is that where, where things happen and, you, and, and the, the public and the media is all over a GM for doing things? And the truth of the matter is they're following an order. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, just one example was
0: we lose five, nothing at home to the Nashville predators. And I get a call. I'm sitting in my office and I was so upset, disappointed. Dave King was my coach. And I get a call from my owner at 11 o'clock at night. And he said, fire the coach tomorrow morning. And I said to him, Mr. Mack, I said like Dave King's pretty, pretty good coach. He said, fire him tomorrow morning. I said, and, and who, who's going to coach? He said, you are. (laughs) So I walk in and I say, I I fired Dave and I cannot tell Dave King who I had a lot of respect for that. I couldn't, I couldn't tell him that the owner made me do it. I, I, you have to take the hit. You have to take the hit and the media in Columbus were all over me and were all over me for the next while because I fired Dave King because I wanted to coach again. That was what, that was the word. And it was all over the hockey world. I wanted to coach again, which was so far from the truth. It was unbelievable. And the next time another little incident happened, I'm, I go, I'm down. I got to hire a coach. I had George Glantz, my coach, and I get called in. And George Glantz, I taught him in high school. I've known him since he was 10 years of age. I brought him to the NHL as an assistant coach. I coached him in Detroit. I brought him to the NHL as an assistant coach. And I get called at Christmas to fire Dave or fire in November, whenever it was, fire Gerard Gallant. And I told Gerard, I said, Juard, when I was firing him, I said, Juard, me and you have been friends since you were 10. I have no choice in this. I've got to fire you. He, I, I've been told to, and that's simply the way it is. I got to fire you. We've stayed as unbelievably great friends. We still talk on a regular basis, and we're great friends. And I have tremendous respect for him. And I'm thrilled for what he's been able to accomplish. So I am down to interviewing Andy Murray and Ken Hitchcock for the job. Okay? And I go, the owner meets with both Hitch and Andy Murray. And then I go out with Jim Clark, my assistant GM, and Don Boyd, director, you know, he's a director of pro scouting, but a personnel guy for me. We go and meet with Mr. McConnell and his two guys, his son and and Mike Priest, who was sort of headed up J-Mac. And I said, I want to hire Ken Hitchcock. And Mr. McConnell looked at me, he said, I would, like it, I would like you to hire the other guy. So he said to me, I'd like you to hire. I said, Mr. Mac, we can't. We got to go with Hitchcock. He's one. I like Andy Murray. He's had a good career. We got to go with the guy that's won the Stanley cup. We need the credibility. We need the credibility. We've got to go with Hitchcock. So I hire Hitchcock and the Columbus media have said ever since that, that I was forced to hire Ken Hitchcock. Like seriously, I was forced to hire Ken. I had a fight to get him the goddamn job. And yet it's gone. Oh, no. he, McLean was for it. anyway. So, and when I get fired, it's a great story. Okay. And 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 I haven't told many people this, but it's a great story. It was three or four months after I hired Hitchcock, the son, JP McConnell, who is now the main owner of the Blue Jackets, good guy. I had a great relationship with him. I've got a meeting on Friday with the ownership about the year, the you know, the off season. So I go to the, the country club and I am Hitchcock comes with me because I want Hitchcock there to talk about the plan, our plan for next year. So I go into the meeting with the owners, three or four of the minority owners. And I noticed one of them in particular, Mr. Wolf, who owned the Columbus dispatch, wouldn't even look me in the face. I'd had a good relationship, but he wouldn't look me in the face because I had been in a battle with Portsline and a race all year, you know, and he wouldn't look me in the face. So I'm presenting my thing, the program and the owner said, okay, uh, Doug, uh, we'd, like you to, uh, we'd like you to leave the room. Uh, would you just wait outside for a little while? The CFO and myself, who I also brought to the meeting to talk the cap stuff, he and I leave, and Hitchcock stays in the room with the owners. I go in the bar area at the golf club. I was in there for an hour and a half sitting there. An hour and a half I was <laughs> sitting in the bar with the CFO. I get called back in. The only one sitting in there is Mr. McConnell. And he says to me after 11 years of working there with him, he said, I have to fire you because the media don't like you. That's what he said to me. <laughs> and I said, you're going to fire me because the media don't like me. He said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So iPhone hitch uh, on the way home. he said, what the hell happened in there? Hitch, you were in there. I wasn't in there. And he said, Doug, uh, you know, a couple of owners anyway. So that's that it's so that's, And I guess I back and I think about all the things I've done in the media since, I wish I would have maybe had the media first before I became a GM I might have been better
1: at, you know? So it's it's real and it's legit. And there there are times where you think that a guy is really smart and he makes a move that you think is beyond bizarre. And there could be things going on behind the scenes that you're not aware of. Yeah. Well, and, and this is what
0: J.P. McConnell, who kept telling me that week, Doug, you're safe. You're safe. You're not in trouble because the media were pushing. I was going to fire. You're safe. You're, you're not going to be fired. So I get into that meeting and J.P.'s not there. And I said, where's J.P.? They said, oh, he and his wife went to Mexico. I thought, are you son of a bitch? You're in Mexico? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: anyway, it's fun to laugh about it now.
1: <laughs> so, so what do you think happened in New York this week where... All of a sudden, the GM and president get fired four days before the well, end of the season. L- look,
0: it's it's very simple to me. It, it's one of two things. It's uh, Glenn Sather wanted to come back and get involved. I heard he had had some health issues. He got a whether it was a knee replacement, a hip, whatever, and he's either Glenn Sather wanted him to co- wanted to come back and get into it, which I believe. Or Dolan really wanted him to come back because he loves Glenn Sather. And I think that was, the, that was the crux of it. I mean, I know that, you know, J.D., there, there was some a little bit of communication issues the last couple of weeks. And Slats had come back to New York from Palm Springs where he'd been living. He never left. He was always there. And Dolan loves him, thinks he's a hockey genius. And I think that, I think that, that that's what happened. And I, whether, you know, it hasn't really been pushed that much, but Glenn right now, and look, he's had a marvelous career. I, I happen to like him a lot. I happen to really like JD, but the owner has the prerogative to do what he wants. And he for, loved working with Glenn Sather. And he felt that the Sather jury combination would be good, but don't anybody ever underestimate who the boss is there. The boss is Glenn Sather. I'm telling you that right now. He's the boss. Drury will work under him. He won't be the big, he won't be named president, but he is the guy that has the owners here and
1: whoever has the owners here is the boss. Amazing. And do you think uh, we'll wrap up quickly here. Do you think uh, Gerard Gallant is going to be the coach in Seattle? I
0: don't know, like ronnie francis I know, I know ronnie likes him I, I mean i think he'd be a, a real good choice there's going to be some real good coaches and i've talked to gerard about this you got travis green probably will be available talking will probably be available the the wild card is brenda moore i suspect he stays in carolina i think he probably will so to me gerard would be an excellent uh, choice as would the other guys but i i obviously gerard will get a job um I know Jimmy Neal in Dallas really likes him. If Rick's ready to step down, I think Juarez would be right in there. I I think Blashell may survive in Detroit because where are they going? They're not going to be any good for two or three years, so I don't know why they would make that change. So I think Juarez gets a job. He'll be one of three or four really good guys out there this
1: summer. And uh, you're either the GM or the coach for Tom Wilson. What does this week look like for you?
0: You know, uh, they see Tom Wilson – a lot different than the hockey fans that don't cheer for the Washington Capitals. They love this guy and and his teammates love him. Um, Did the NHL leave it open a little bit? Could they have nailed him a game or something just to appease them, but they look at it. I'm a Tom Wilson fan. And I got ripped pretty good this week because I sort of backed him up. I, I, you know, I said, look, I, I respect, I know what Colin Campbell, Mike Murphy, Peros, that whole staff, ray whitney's in there now i know what they look at and what they evaluate and they go by the rules and i didn't have a problem with the. i didn't have a problem with it would i have maybe suspended a game just to take off a little heat maybe but i'm a tom wilson fan and every team in the league would love to freaking have him, including the new york rangers
1: all right last question i'll let you go because best way to get you to come back is to, to keep it timely and i, I got a million <laughs> more questions for you but but so word is out that, you know, the NHL has moved its TV rights to ESPN and TNT. Uh, lots of rumors as to who's going to be on those broadcasts, but the hot, the hot word, if you will, is that uh, Wayne Gretzky has turned down over $2 million to work at ESPN and is now fully focused on TNT, where the number I'm told he's asking for is $5 million. A, uh, a fan of the show wants me to ask you, if you could whisper in Gary's ear and get TNT to offer that same amount to uh, y- your podcast co-host?
0: I would like them to offer Nick even a million.
1: And he, <laughs> you know what?
0: Uh, I, I'm not sure. Like I love Wayne Gretzky. I coached him in a two NHL all-star games and I have so much respect and I've had a lot of laughs with this guy, like a lot of laughs. And, you know, when we met in the you know bars on the road and stuff, we've, we've, we've sort of, Oh, he's been terrific with me, you know. Did one of the greatest things ever for my son when when I was an All Star coach. I'll never forget what he did for him. But I, I don't see Wayne as a TV guy. I just don't see him as that. I I I think it would be. I don't care if it's five million. I don't think he needs the money. I'd be I'd be. I don't think it's he's cut out for it. I just don't. And uh, you know, I would love to see Nick get a job with TNT. First of all, I'd get rid of the damn podcast. It's a pain <laughs> in the ass for me. <laughs> but anyway, I'd love to see him get a gig there. And he's good. He knows his stuff and he's got a ton of contacts and he's good. So anyway, if Wayne wants it, you know, that's great. But I I don't think he'd be like, I say, you know, JD him. Why would they, why would they go there? I I don't get it. Like, listen, Rogers paid me 525,000 my last five years. Okay. And I'm thinking, I remember everybody saying, Oh, Mac, you're going to be back. And I said, are you kidding me? I'm doing three days a week. And they're paying me five twenty-five. dollars There's not a, and I, used to, I was telling Berkey this, there's not a snowball's chance they're bringing me back at that kind of money. Not a chance for three days a week. Who was right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you can hear him in the same, I think it is the same, three days a week on the Real Kipper <laughs> podcast. It is, uh, it's great to listen to. They were most recently on with Darren Millard and Chirp. Uh, it was an awesome episode. The three of them have promised to to appear here together uh, at some point in the future. As I said, there is a ton that I'd love to still ask you, Doug. I hope you'll come back and uh, maybe we'll get you when you're live from the RV from the middle of the country somewhere. That would be awesome. But I really appreciate you coming on board today. Thanks a lot, Doug.
0: Anytime. Thanks, man. It was fun.
1: Thank you for listening to another edition of the Press Row Podcast. You can
0: subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. To contact Jonah or to sponsor the show, email jonah at torontosportsmedia.com.